Gentlemen, start your engine. Good afternoon, radio. For those who don't know, radio hotler. Thanks for coming and making time. It's on everybody's mind. For those who don't know, there's a big shebang. Sorry about that. Sorry about the uh, um, technical goodies. Radio hotler. Hot, 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 hot. Oh, cheers, boys. Cheers. Cheers. episode 178. She loves episode 178. That's because she's being um, deprived of episodes <laughs> <That's right. laughs> for the last few days. <laughs> and like, light-hearted. She's light-hearted. <laughs> Not like me tonight. I was going to say, she'd be the only one here. Oh, I tell you. I tell you, I tell you, I tell you. JP, welcome to episode 178 of Radio Hot Lab. Thank you, John. Lighthearted and zany podcast takes a look at lightheartedness. <laughs> and? Exclusively. Motorsport, national and international. Poorly. Gadgets <laughs> and barbecues. How are you? <laughs> All right, how are you going? Now, <laughs> I've, I've, now you've sat down. I've, I'm a bit snappy <laughs> because my chair's broken. Look. <laughs> oh, no. What happened there? I don't know, there's some. Oaf, Danish oaf settlement. Oh, that's not very good. Need a bit of um, a bit of glue on there, son. Glue on there, son. Yeah, glue on there, son. Well, folks is going to join us, so we'll uh, we'll waste no time in bringing him in, viewers, because you know because he'd only be sitting over there in Melbourne in front of the computer waiting for us to call him, and, and, he, and he probably has already smoked fifteen cigarettes while he's been waiting. He doesn't smoke cigarettes. Does he? <laughs> he's not the kind of guy. That Are you the kind of guy that would smoke cigarettes? <laughs> Don't know what you're talking about. Wouldn't do such a terrible thing. <laughs> That'll be a La Fogoire. Hello, mate. How are you, Fogoire? Hello, JP. Good evening, boys. Good to talk to you, folks. How's things in Melbourne? Yeah, I've just recently recovered from my visit to Adelaide. <laughs> well, I never has anyway. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> Took a while. What's happening? Well, we're here at uh, the world headquarters uh, in uh, on the kitchen bench, as you well know. Well, you know well uh, uh, from a you know uh, a stand back point of view, where others might be washing up and people may be preparing creating. meals and. That's right, but yeah, far be it from me to people to do that. Well, you don't know where things go. <laughs> That's right. Uh, there's these strange things behind you. What are they? They're little doors. What? The little people live in there, do they? <laughs> yeah, cool. they? Oh, look at the TV there. Look at the TV in the cupboard. Yeah, oh, it's called plates and plates and. It's funny how you can find those little doors when you want a wine glass, though, isn't it? Eh? Do the ser- <laughs> is that where the servants live? <laughs> yeah. See, he ignored that totally. <laughs> Sorry, I'm. I- I didn't hear what you said, JP. I, <laughs> I, said, <laughs> I said you can find the little doors quick enough when you want a wine glass from behind them. I uh, didn't quite get that. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of wine glasses... What are you having to drink tonight, folks? Nothing, no. <laughs> I 
come on. No, mate. Why would you say that? You don't expect us to believe that, do you? Oh, look. <laughs> What's that doing there? A glass of, um, oh, it must be Ribena, that's it. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> what yeah. the Empire was built on. Wins Kunawara Ribena. Oh, right. very nice. Capsav. Capsav. Hope, right. hope you put it through the aerator. Um, as we have here, the aerator is actually a very, very good. If you, I've got this device, and if you listen, J, um, JP and folks, look, it's aerating as we as we speak. I've heard that noise before, but not in the kitchen. <laughs> you're a naughty voice, and Fogwah, you're on form. Well, folks, you're convinced that aerator works, doesn't it? Turns vinegar into. Uh, Wonderful wine, I'm yet to be convinced. Well, it worked all right that night that you and bloody Stoney were around here. Yeah, <laughs> by, by that stage, <laughs> waving a wand over it would have worked. <laughs> Anything, you know. Well, we've had yes. a... So, well, what have you been up to? Been a while since I've uh, been on the program, shunned as usual. <laughs> <laughs> well, you obviously haven't been listening or you'd know how shunned you've been. <laughs> you'll get another chance but I, I know you've been busy down in, uh, in in Melbourne there with the F1 on you know swanking around in the in the the, the, the nice auditorium with your special you know biorhythmic pass but uh, <laughs> no, I know you didn't make it up to Seapang last weekend for the bit of a Mr. Sweaty Zone China on this weekend I mean what do you make of it all and and, and this this you know, allocating the DRS zones. I mean, I mean, we've only just worked out that you know that it stood for drag reduction system. But the, not like anyone in the commentary would have actually told you what it stood for. It's all very confusing for people who don't have any different knowledge of Formula One, and it, it's all just a bit too contrived. It didn't work very well. The drag reduction system in Melbourne worked better in Malaysia because it's a longer straight and probably will work quite well again for its intended purposes of, of allowing cars to get close enough behind to get a tow and then pull out and get a slingshot and get by. Um, very long straight to the Shanghai track in China. But it's, it's just a contrivance, you know, it's not fixing the real problem, which is that the aerodynamics of these Formula 1 cars is so skewed, you know, so wrong that you just can't get up close behind without catching a whole heap of dirty air and losing downforce, blah, 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 and that's where the, the problem lies. The same with the tyres. Pirelli's tyres have proved to be uh, more durable than expected, but they're still designed basically to wear out quickly, and you get this problem of a huge amount of marbles, that is, little bits of rubber, off the, offline on the track, and the drivers, you know, just can't pass anywhere except that you know tram track around the, the line of the of the circuit and if they get off and get caught in those marbles um it just sticks to the tires and they lose all grip so i you know i just constantly wonder where we're going when a tire company like pirelli which obviously has the technology to make the best tires available are building them down to a specification just to improve so-called you know the so-called show um the, mm. the fundamental problems just aren't being addressed 
Been as it may, it was a better race than Melbourne, and I would expect China this weekend probably be a better race than than we saw at Sepang. And as the season progresses, hopefully, it will be a lot more interesting and a lot more like last year. But Sebastian Vettel certainly is looking the man. Well, he is the man to beat. Absolutely. And looking very tough to beat at the moment too. They say they were trying to reduce costs in Formula One. I somehow can't see that four or five pit stops are. Are reducing costs there, folks? Not for the tyre supplier. The costs are being reduced behind the scenes. There have been quite considerable cutbacks in our staff limitations. They have this, um, a, you know, behind the scenes agreement between the teams on, you know, progressively cutting staff, and it's easy, even to the point of cutting the amount of overtime and the, and the number of hours they can work. I mean, they have to basically knock off early, even at the race meetings. Um, because there's an actual limit on the number of hours per day they can work um, and that's as much a part of the cost-cutting exercise as being just an occupational health and, and safety issue as well which has been rearing, rearing its ugly head in Formula 1 so the cost of Formula 1 has been slashed dramatically in the past few years but it's still extraordinarily expensive you know, the tyres the to be honest uh, and the number of them being used are the least of their problems Now what do you make of this, the DRS uh, actual, like the implementation of it? Firstly, you have a, a, a point in the track where it says it is enabled, then there's an activation zone, and then there's a point where you can actually use it. it it's not clear for everybody, and, and certainly not for us, that, that would probably have a better chance of understanding it than many. It should be clearer. If you're interested, you can find out where the, the zones are and where it's activated and if you watch the little logos on the screen it will show you when the DRS system and indeed the KERS kinetic energy recovery system is also um, on but essentially what you said is right if a car is within a second at a certain point leading to the nominated straight um, when you get to the, the timing line or the, the, the activation line on the straight which in Shanghai is actually going to be not out of the corner. It's going to be, you know, about a third the way, a third of the way along the, the very long straight. And that's, at that point, the driver gets a signal inside the car that he can push the button, and that a activates the, um, the movable rear wing, which um, opens it up. You know, puts a hole, makes a slot, if you like, and that reduces the drag, so that uh, the guy behind can pick up. It's hard to tell, but anyway, between sort of eight and ten kilometres per hour, and um, as it would catch a toe and uh, slingshot past. And as we saw it, you know, when it works, didn't work for Fernando Alonso. His his one wasn't working throughout the race, but when it works, um, it does, you know, create an overtaking opportunity. Um, but it's artificial, you know. As I said before, I need to go back to the core problem, which is the the very fussy aerodynamics that just don't allow. Um, what was a staple of racing back in the day, which was, you know, slipstream. Yeah, for sure. Look, despite the fact that I'm enjoying a very nice 2008 uh, JSM Fox Creek Shiraz Cab Savignon Cabernet Franc, it doesn't make it any easier for me to understand how that whole system works. Perhaps for the viewers or the listeners, uh, uh, for those watching television, uh, it would be, perhaps a, a matrix could be brought up on screen showing each driver 
um, showing what they've used in DRS and in CURS, where it's been implemented, where where they have it in reserve. So it, it's almost like it, each driver has a, a, a bank account of each component and that they draw on it and, um, and then there could be some graphical information. What do you think, folks? Well, I don't know about a matrix, but there, there is graphical information on the screens. You know, it's, it's, it's pretty busy. There's a lot going on. But if you care, look, it's there. You know, the DRS logo goes green when, it's, when the driver's activated it. Um, and yeah, the think... same for the, the, the curves. There's a little, you know, little um, Z, you know, lightning logo there yeah. with plus and minus, and you can tell how much they've used. Recharging, yeah. That, that lap and whether it's recharging or... or all being used, but if you didn't know, yeah, if you just turning the TV on and watching it. Quite mysterious. You'd, you'd, you'd wonder what was going on, but I mean, the curse this year is critical, as we've seen, you know. Um, Red Bull got away with not using it at Albert Park, yep. and Vettel, you know, was quick enough there not to be able to use it, but he had to use it certainly off the start and to good effect in Malaysia, but it broke down halfway through and he wasn't able to use it. And Weber, well, his race was screwed from the start because he had no curves right off the line, plus a bit of a clutch problem. So his effort in fighting his way back from, well, he dropped a tenth um, at the first corner, back to fourth and almost a podium. He was catching Nick Heidfeld at a great rate of knots on the last lap. Um, yeah, it was a huge effort and that just... Uh, Indicates that Melbourne Park was an aberration for Weber, so we shouldn't give up hope. But at the moment, if you haven't got Kurz, you're missing, you know, 80 odd horsepower off the start line, and and in that drag to the first corner, that's critical. Um, Vettel had it, used it to good effect. Weber didn't have it, and he just got completely swamped. It's clever technology, but again, it's artificial. It's contrivance. You know, it's. Well, it is, yeah. One version of the, you know, what they had in Chanco a while back, you know, the push-to-pass thing, and, and as they still have an IndyCar. Absolutely. Look, uh, folks, uh, when you're not busy uh, talking to, uh, you know, uh, rally czars, I mean... Uh, <laughs> or any uh, other czars. That's right. How, how do you manage to keep on top of all this sort of stuff? I mean, you know, your, your life is so flat out with... With with czars of rally, and um, and and the important one czars and V8 supercar czars. Yeah, I know. There's plenty of czars lately. Yeah, but if there was a Bolshevik revolution and got rid of the czars, there's but, still a lot around. But <laughs> on the on the on the concept of czars, I mean, uh, are they CZAR czars or are they TSAR czars? Well, you, you or or are they S A R S? Sars. I spell it with a C, C Z A R, but others spell it T S A R. Right. And what uh, about putting a, the, the I, mask I, I over your face? Really, I just use the C. The C word. C spelling. <laughs> I would never use. Uh, no, I won't say that. <laughs> you probably shouldn't either. But, but, but being the Asian Grand Prix sort of environment, shouldn't you be talking about Sars? <laughs> <laughs> boom boom yeah that's a worry isn't it hey? uh, you know the Melbourne Comedy Festival still on it's not too late John <laughs> he's talking to you not me <laughs> no, put JP John <laughs> maybe, I, maybe I should go there with the mayor and, uh, Ron, and Ron Walker missing a consonant <laughs> <laughs> consonant John he's a consonant worry 
Sun Razor Rally. Well, that was a desert rally. I didn't know that. Too dusty and dirty. Didn't get into that. <laughs> no, the Southern, the Southern Cross Rally was great. You know, that was our sort of, you know, major international rally up around Port Macquarie, based in Port Macquarie. You'd know that area, John. Hardy. And, um, you know, that was, well, that was the closest we had to a World Championship round. And, in fact, the World Rally Australia is going back to that region this year, so that'll be interesting. But, you know, the rally, rallying... When you had Ford and Holden Works teams and Nissan, Datsun Works teams in the 70s and early 80s, uh, and you had the traditional old, you know, long rallies out in the bush, you know, it was what to many people still is, to many rally purists, still is what rallying is all about. And um, rallying has a lot of issues, you know, not just getting manufacturers back involved, but it has environmental issues to address and um, getting people out into the forest to watch rallies is really difficult now, so you've got to bring it, you know, into the cities a bit and have, you know... Tarmac stages. Well, you've got, you know, you've got to have a bit of razzmatazz with the starts and finishes in town and special stages or stadium stages and all that and then looking for private land on which to actually run the rally, so, you know, it's no easy task. Um, you mentioned tarmac stages. I, I don't agree. Sorry, rallying is not about tarmac stages. It's about loose surfaces, dirt, and if you're in the normal north, northern hemisphere, you know, um, snow and snow ice. Snow and ice, yeah. I, I, I don't, you know, tarmac rallying or tarmac road racing is an entirely separate thing, and <clears throat> there are too many tarmac rallies in the World Rally Championship as part. If you ask me, it's part of the reason why the World Rally Championship is struggling because you just don't get the spectacle on tarmac. Well, yeah, let's ignore right. then, folks, the fact that the uh, world's most famous rally, which also is a tarmac rally, the Monte Carlo, held in early January, may be returning uh, to the world stage. Let's let's ignore that. Um, uh, well, it's a tarmac rally, but it's held in the depth of winter, and it's so icy. It's snowing. Monte Carlo rally is fantastic. You, you know. Up at the Col de Torini, you know, the famous snow stage, you know, that's spectacular because the cars are slipping and sliding around. But, um, so it's not a traditional tarmac rally. 
Always got an answer that, folks. It's not. It's you not know, I wonder part, whether right? whether Scott. I'm Pat well read. Please excuse me for being well read. Oh, yes, oh, sorry. Yes, yes, well read. Well glass of red. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Please excuse me for Scott Penner, like putting his hand up to want to run that uh, that thing. But on the outside, you go, that's really cool. On the but having said that, virtually every rally car runs ProFlex suspension, not Petters. One would think that perhaps uh, this is an opportunity for Petter to, um, you know, uh, ingrain his uh, supply uh, to the uh, outdoor travelling masses, you know, in that, in that, in that sort of environment. You, you, get, you get my thinking here? I'm not, not saying it's a bad thing. It'll also be a conflict of interest, so there's probably a bit of an issue there. Well, where, where does that leave Mark Scaife? Wearing many hats. <laughs> El Chapeau. That's right. Some of which are com in completely clashing colours, shall I say. <laughs> oh, very nice. What, can, what, what do you mean? Can you give an example of, of colour clash? Where, where would he be unsuitably attired? <laughs> I'll, I'll leave it to your imagination. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough, then. Nah, that's all good. Well, yeah. moving on from there, JP... Uh, and, and folks, the, the, the race of champions, it's, uh, it's had a bit of a rocky road trying to find a home after it's been ejected from Bursey Stadium. It went over to the UK and then I think it went mm. to, to another somewhere else. And it went um, to China, didn't it? China, yeah, that's yeah. right, to China. the... Uh, to the Beijing. Um, the yeah. Beijing, which uh, to the, the hall, which was the birdcage, which looked like a bit of a yeah. potato rosty. Now it ends up in Frankfurt. Perhaps yeah. that's probably well, a better solution. Last year, so it hasn't moved very far, but it's moved back to Frankfurt and a big, a very big major city. So it should pull a decent crowd there. But um, yeah, I'm with you. I, you know, I still think it's great days. Was when it was in um, in Listen. Paris. Yeah, you know, mm. um, that that was the the height of it. Um, it's an interesting concept. Bad time of year for Aussies. You know, clashes with the. Sydney Telstra 500 at Homebush, so in the immediate future we're not going to get any Aussies there. Jamie Wincup had a chance a couple of years ago. Well, that's right. Yeah. And he didn't take that opportunity because it would have interfered with his um, preparations for the final round of the championship where he clinched that year's title. I think that was back in um, 2009. And quite rightly so, him making that decision because he did go on to win that championship. Uh, Australia seems to be represented. You know, I... It isn't we, we could be harsh by saying, oh, who is he? But he has won many uh, MotoGP championships. Um, uh, Mick Doohan. Yeah. But uh, looking like he, he, he looking, he's looking a bit salt and pepper and he needs a bit of a tune-up with his race suit. As a race driver, he makes a great MotoGP rider. <laughs> <laughs> hey, how strange was it? He was interviewed after the recent MotoGP race where um, Rossi lost it and took Stoner yes. down and there was the whole brouhaha after that, you know. Yeah. Is it, was it a brouhaha or was it a hubbub? Uh, well, it's a tough call, isn't it, really? <laughs> um, One and, or the other, uh, Mick was interviewed, I think it was by Fox Sports, <laughs> which was interesting because he admitted, well, I hadn't actually seen the race. Well, there you go. Stoner's <laughs> world champion. Not even watching the races. Why? Well, he was busy. Yeah, busy being Mick. Mm, that's right. 
he's a good lad. He's a he's a he's a lot more personable and approachable, and um, has a personality now as opposed to when he was um, racing in the, what was then the 500cc Grand Prix class. You know, he was a shocker, the most media, almost the most media unfriendly individual almost I've ever come across in, in racing. But um, right. he's uh, he's come out of his shell, as it were, and um, Casey Stoner could take a lesson from that. Does that kid ever smile, folks? Uh, yeah, there's some, there's some issues going on there with, with that. And I, I, I think that that's a it's a pretty relevant comment by, from someone un, uh, un, unknown saying, "Hey, you know, you can win and lose, but at the end of the day, a smile costs nothing." And you know, you're always going to get Rossi with a smile, and yeah, uh, Casey's got a bit of a downturn face. And there's a few other drivers we know that have a bit of a downturn face. Others are, are very upbeat. Craig Lowndes, always the upbeat individual. I, I can't specifically name anyone who's Mr. Miserable in uh, V8 Supercars. Um, but you can, you can definitely see those that, that put their best foot forward when the media opportunity uh, is there for them. And more importantly, with the fans. Well, yeah, the fans are... I mean, being friendly with the fans is really the key to the whole exercise, isn't it? Because if the fans go off you, well, then there's no series. But some people's face naturally smile and some people's True. naturally don't smile. For example, uh, it, Casey's he's got a problem because you know he's a great writer, and like a lot of them behind the scenes, you know he's a personable young bloke. But you know, not only when he's presenting to the media, I, I've been at a couple of things where he's you know dealing with fans, and um, he just never looks interested. He's not outgoing, you know. He's just sort of there under sufferance, um, you know. And it, it's a shame because you know he could be. One of Australia's great sporting stars. Well, I think that re reflects so just personality. There is not radiating any warmth. No, it's not. And then, the f and then you you find that the general public then don't get behind him. I mean, as a as a sort of comparo, I guess you could probably say Leighton Hewitt. Yeah, I was going to say world. exactly that. He's exactly. Had no one a, likes had him. the same problem. No, you know, he, uh, it wasn't just tall poppy syndrome. It was just the way that he came across to everybody. He just pissed everyone off. Sure, but least Leighton and. and I had some experience with this a while back when Leighton was at his peak and I was living in the States. I did a couple of interviews with him. I sort of a hangover from my tennis days. And yeah, I mean, it could be hard work, but at least Leighton was, and still is, passionate. You know, he wears his heart on his sleeve. Now, you mightn't agree with his um, presentation, let's say, but at least there's passion there. You know, he's... He's firing himself up. He's oh, he's always been very passionate, yeah. You know, he's just trying to, you know, get things moving, you know. Um, he mightn't be lovable, you know, but he is a personality of a different kind. Um, Casey, to my observations, just doesn't show anything at all. It's hard to tell whether he's happy, sad, or, you know... Indifferent. In, anywhere in between. So, um, doesn't take away from, you know... His riding and his switch to Honda has certainly proved that he wasn't just a one-trick pony. You know, there were a lot of suggestions for years that, you know, he was winning with Ducati because he was the only guy who could ride that bucking, bucking Bronco of a thing. You know, it was a very <laughs> difficult machine and, you know, his teammates had problems that seemed to, seemed to suggest that that may have been true. But he's just jumped from the Ducati onto the Honda. Uh, you know, he's off and running again. So that's proved that he is a class rider. Um, but in terms of his personality and and lovability, he's um, he's got a bit of work to do. 
Uh, for the viewers' benefit, uh, we'll just recap. Like, uh, and I'm just taking the the, uh, the the time frame loosely. But 20 years ago, folks, you were uh, out doing 10 years in the the top tennis circuit, and then went on to do F1, and then then and again, correct me if I'm wrong with these time frames. But um, yeah, right. Back in I spent the best. No, I spent all of the 80s pretty much covering tennis, and on the 90s in F1, and then majors like Wimbledon. Okay. and into the early 90s and then sort of switched to Formula One in the early 90s for a while and so my question is, like, um, having done tennis in the 80s and then Formula 1 in the 90s, has the joviality of media, in, irrespective of the sport that you, are, that you are covering, sort of, like, diminished a little bit because the media um, outlets are so much more wide-ranging with the, you know, the implementation of new, new stuff like, like websites and Twitter and Facebook and, 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 and sort of, put it this way, is the... You know, uh, in the 80s and the 90s, a person like yourself would have been the centre of the hourglass, uh, you know, representing the sands of information that came from the, the racing or the, or the tennis fraternity to the public below. Uh, has that now been diluted? Yeah, it's a lot harder now than it used to be. And ironically, we used to think back in the 80s and 90s that top tennis stars and Formula One stars particularly were unapproachable. By comparison, you know, thinking back, they were a dream. and you know, accessibility, you know, to the top tennis stars like, you know, the McEnroe's, the Connors and even, you know, Pete Sampras later on, you know, when I think back was actually pretty good, but that comes from being a regular on the circuit and the same in Formula One. And, you know, in the, in the late 80s and early 90s, I was a regular and you get to know, you know, the stars, you know, everyone from Ayrton Centre down. And there were, as you said, quite correctly, a lot fewer media back then. There's a lot more competition now. There are a lot more people. But also, as the years have gone on in, in most major sports, access has been progressively, you know, whittled away to to almost nothing in the sense of getting quality time with these guys. You know, try and get a one-on-one -on -one with a Formula One star these days. It's virtually impossible. Um, there are lots of group sessions. And so, in simple terms, access on the surface has improved because all these drivers and team officials across the Grand Prix weekend are available quite regularly to the media, but never exclusively. So you can never get any depth, you know, get anything good if you're a bit more creative in your questioning or, you know, a bit better at digging out news. You know, you used to be able to get people one-on-one -on -one and find out things and, and get a story yourself. Now you're just part of the group. Yeah, so the me. individuality has disappeared and, um, you know, you just don't... You just don't get a lot of stories these days that really show in any depth the, the, the true character of Formula One drivers um, and a lot of other sports. You know, in America, it's different. There's, there's in ways, a lot more accessibility. But again, it's always in a group session. And uh, I read a, a piece in the local paper on last Sunday about, you know, how inaccessible AFL uh, football stars are to the media in general. And, you know, not even in group sessions, just getting hold of any AFL players, you know, away from the games is impossible. And that's bad because, you know, like it or not, the media are simply there as a conduit to the fans. Sure. It is, you know, the sports stars and sports <coughs> particip participants' ways of speaking directly to the fans. You can't talk to everyone, so you do it through the media. And, you know, most people in the business just don't seem to realise that. Well, is, well the, is the, has the media then in its own right become a nanny state? 
like Mark Webber had uh, accused Melbourne and the Australian, uh, well certainly Victorian government of being so uh, with rules uh, in the light of, you know, a lazy little burnout by Lewis Hamilton? Uh, it's a pretty good way of describing it, generally. You know, Australia is certainly in any state and Webber got pilloried for making that comment, but he was completely correct. OH&S madness. Yeah. Yeah. But, well, everything, not just OH&S. It's but also, folks... Sorry. This, this is a country, you know, whose reputation or the, the reputation of the people was was built on the you know, on the rebel spirit, you know, almost yeah. you know, the Eureka Stockade thing. Even though it was a debacle. But you know, it <laughs> particularly through the seventies when I grew up in the eighties, Australians were known and were outspoken people, people known for speaking their minds and you know, we were anti authoritarian. Well now we're just a pack of pussies. You know, we've rolled over. Okay. But but you know, that's right, you know this road safety nonsense nonsense as in you know constantly targeting you know speed limits and the, and the draconian system that we have for of speed laws and speed detection certainly in Victoria and and you know also New South Wales South Australia and Queensland and all these ever increasing restrictions are being put on our society and Australians who were renowned not just known but renowned for speaking out and not accepting. You know, lamely Bullshit. what authority told you. But isn't this what the over. isn't this exactly what Radio Hotlap and your own column in uh, in AA is designed to do? To go, hey, look, I'm an independent communicator, uh, as as uh, as some of the um, the uh, writers for technology newspapers or, yeah. or behind um, the ABC and say, hey, you know, like what I say is not necessarily the views. Of the end of the organisation, but I'm just telling you like it is. Or the way uh, I see. And, I, and I, I just think, and I, I, I have to keep going back to that with, you know, with, with JP and I, like, and and yourself, your face. The commonality is that we want to go and say, hey, look, if we want to tell you to go and get fucked, that's fine, We're, because that's our opinion, and we should be able to have an opinion, and people and we are shouldn't get for that opinion. Conversely, well, we, we try. Conversely, most often. It works. People seem to appreciate independent thoughts. But as a society, we are just accepting more and more restrictions and repression all the time. You know, we're, we're just little oases, you know, in a desert of, well, not free speech, but independent speech. But well, just to get back to Formula One, I mean, I just read an article in Motorsport this month. I don't know whether you've read it. And there's a, there's a big, long, in-depth interview there with Murray Walker. Mm-hmm. And he was talking, uh, he started off talking about Nigel Manson. He, he basically said, look, I know a lot of people know that I'm friendly with Nigel and da 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 But he was a black and white man. Unfortunately, most of today's drivers, because of the pressures of sponsors and all the other crap that they have to do, are grey men. And so you don't get the characters that give the media some fodder, for want of a better word, uh, to go along with, and and I think exactly. he's, he's, he's probably dead right there. And the media says they don't portray a character that gets people, the fans, involved. Mm. You know, it's it's hard to you know attach yourself to a Lewis Hamilton or a Fernando Alonso or a, you know what is a Felipe Massa? You know, completely <laughs> anodyne. Yeah, at least Mark Webber says something. True, he does. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he speaks in cliches and <laughs> proverbs and things and, you know, his, 
everything's in sound bites. You know, it's, it's difficult when you try to get him to say something at length in depth. But, you know, he has something to say that's interesting, unlike the rest of them put yeah. together. Who are all watching their P's and Q's all the time. Well, they are. You know, political correctness has gone mad and mm. the drivers and the teams are worried about, worried about offending anyone, but certainly their sponsors. And yeah. I never understand it from a sponsor's point of view. You know, short of just absolutely reprehensible behaviour, you know, these drivers, you know, saying and doing things that are interesting and attract attention should be good for the sponsors. You but thought so, yeah. There, there is a, you know, has been an increasing thought over the over the recent years and now over the last decade or so that, um, you know, you shouldn't say anything that would possibly offend anyone. And well, if you do, well, that's, that reflects badly on our commercial partners. But from a sponsorship point of view, is that is, do you think that that's... And I certainly do think that it's it's more because... Money-wise, the sport's not got out of control. But, I mean, it, we're talking big, big bucks here now. And everybody's too scared to say anything that might upset the sponsors because they can't afford to forego that money. That may so, be true, but the reality know, is that it's, the it's more controversy there is, the more coverage the sport will get. True. And, you know, the more exposure the sport will get and, therefore, those people involved in the sport will get more exposure. And, and you see it. It, it. it can be motorsport can be such a dull sport at times, you know, despite itself, it is actually a very exciting sport when you drill, you know, not very far down. But its presentation <laughs> of its personalities has become so so weak at the people. Homogenised. Sort of, you know, on, in general, that when there is a controversy going, it gets huge coverage. Well, you know, and this is a message that's been going around, you know, for at least the last several years and nobody seems to see it. Mm-hmm. Yutz, yutz, yutz. That's what I've got to say to you. Or that's what uh, that's what um, the bloke that's been not able to crash enough cars in the WRC, Kimi Raikkonen, going to trucks, and he seems like he's done pretty good, folks. What do you make of that? I, you know, I, I I like the comment there from um, from uh, Jensen Button. He goes, "Oh, everyone's leaving to go and do Utes, All two of them." <laughs> <laughs> I think he's referring to the fact that Raikkonen was the latest McLaren driver too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, no, and and referring to Montoya early. Yeah, it's hardly an exodus, is it? But no, I mean, it Timmy isn't... is a is an odd character to say the least. I mean, he's a behind the scenes. He's you know one of the greatest Hellraisers ever known. You know, he's almost a James Hunt esque type character. <laughs> Except that when he got in a race car at a racetrack, he was. You know, the dullest thing you've ever seen. You know, he's even more boring than his fellow Finn Mika Hackner. I never thought I'd live to, to, to see the day when, you know, anyone would be more boring in a public environment than Mika Hackner. You know, it's preserves, honestly. Raikkonen was completely counterproductive for Formula One. He just lost interest in the end, couldn't be bothered. Yeah, definitely couldn't um, be bothered. He was great for a while and is a great talent. And as I said, behind the scenes is, is a fascinating and outrageous personality. But, but, but did he come from Cashola or what? No. No. Very humble beginnings. And did very few open-wheeler races before he was, you know, elevated into Formula One by Sauber. I mean, he was a, a genuine prodigy. Um, but, you know, just so, so dull, you know, when he was put in a situation where he had to deal with the public or more particularly 
particularly the media just didn't, did you know, not only didn't want to say anything, just couldn't be bothered saying anything. After, anything. after race press conferences is a great example. You just want to, you know, uh, just think uh, yourself, uh, I mean, there's so nothing there. Well, but, I mean, he's an exciting driver and, and um, Citroen will probably be quite relieved if he does actually go off to NASCAR. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think he's probably involved. The crash bill will be severely reduced. I mean, yeah, but, uh, has it been a rally where he hasn't crashed? Yeah, but at the end of the day, like, you know, like he was getting paid 13.x million from Ferrari to not go racing. I mean, how much of that can you tear up in WRC? And in fact, that would probably preempt, you know, like David Richards going and saying, hey, I'm really sure I'm going to sell 12 WRC minis, uh, the Countryman, in 2012. Do you think, with two of them being factory cars, you reckon that uh, Kimi might wreck the other 10? Well, I was going to say, he probably would sell 12 if he let Kimi drive him. <laughs> well, he's paying. Um, but Kimi's paying for the stuff. I've got a feeling that Kimi will actually do quite well in NASCAR. Yeah, I do mm. too. He's, got a, he, you know, he's super talented. He's far enough removed from Formula One that he, you know, I think he'll be able to adapt to these you know, unwieldy beasts in NASCAR, certainly the trucks, and then move his way up through Nationwide into Sprint, sprint Cup. I, I actually think, oddly, that you know, if he puts his mind to it, He'll actually do quite well because he's got the talent, but, you know, driving the rally car, he's been used to something that's, you know, um, very unwieldy and very unresponsive compared with a Formula One car. So when he jumps into the NASCAR environment, it's not going to be such a big shock to him because even someone like Juan, Juan Pablo Montoya, he's been, you know, chipping away at now, chipping away at NASCAR now for a few years and has come close to Winning races, you know, he's still not really on top of it. And even Marcus Ambrose, you know, he's still fighting to come to grips with the very different technique of driving on an oval compared with road racing. You know, it's it's, it's so far removed now that um, anyone who tries to make the transition late in their career from road racing to ovals has really got a mountain to climb. JP, what is that uh, red wine that you spilt on the current issue of uh, AA that is oh, I haven't spilled it on so the current issue of AA. on my I've doorstep this morning. I've spilled with it on that bit of paper that I've got there. It's got nothing to do with AA, so you can stop bitching and moaning. No, I'm just asking you what the and wine is. You it's miserable. Henry's Drive, Morse Code, Padthaway Shiraz. Well, there you go. JP, um, you mentioned Nigel Mansell. Yep. and what Harry Walker was saying about him in that interview in Motorsport magazine. Mansell was hard work back in the day. Yeah. He was a complete nightmare. nightmare. I had so many run, run-ins with him, it wasn't fun. But, I can't believe that, folks. Jeez. No, but... Was that over a cigarette lighter? He's the most defensive, prickly individual possibly I've ever come across. But he was colourful. Yeah, he was. And in yeah. the car, I mean, he was a, t- a lot, well, he was a lion, wasn't he? Leone is the Italians. Yep. But, you know, he was fantastic. But I remember Patrick Head, the boss of Williams, once said to someone that, you know, Mansell would have been the perfect driver if you could just helicopter him into the cockpit, <laughs> let him race, and then helicopter him out of the cockpit and take him away. <laughs> um, but he was, a ca- he was a character, you know, you... In any sport, you need light and shade. You know, white hats and black hats. And Mansell, you know, was a different, a different shade compared with you know his contemporaries like Senna and Prost. And there was plenty of contrast, and, and you always need that contrast in any sport. And that's what we're largely lacking, certainly. Um, you know, in Formula One, there's no real villain at the moment. The closest to it it's is not. Alonso. You know, but 
but he's sort of a likable villain, so therefore he's not a villain. You know what I mean? Do you think he's likable? Well, sort of. Uh, he's he's a good steer, and he says things that make sense. So that he's makes him just, sort of like likable. He would sell his grandmother for a thousandth of a second. Oh, of course. completely and utterly ruthless. But then so was uh, Schumacher and so and was Senna. And he's the most complete driver out there for sure, but he's no great personality. Well, listen, we don't want an, uh, an Edward de Bono uh, scenario going on here about how many coloured hats, you know, white and black's fine, and, you know, there's an orange one out there as well. Which is that? If there's trouble? Let's focus back on what's going on in America uh, after we talked about Kimi and trucks. George Medici, um has had a little bit of a boost up. He'd been running in the, the late model series in the East Coast, East Coast called the UURA series. Now, now Faze, you're going to have to help me on this because even I'm confused. And if I'm confused, everyone else will be confused, or perhaps not. Um, he's now got a boost up to the ARCA Championship, which is a feeder category to NASCAR, but is that not a feeder category to the trucks, yeah. which aren't actually trucks, which are a feet, whatever well, what they were, which are not actually trucks, which are a feeder category to um, uh, nationwide, which is then sprint cup. I mean, how do you make sense of all this stuff? What what is going on with George Medici? Can, can, do you understand it? You've been over there, there a few there times. There are many levels of. Um, feeder divisions, if you like, for NASCAR. They have all sorts of regional and divisional championships on both coasts. ARCA is actually not directly affiliated with NASCAR, but it is held to be, you know, the top level of the junior divisions, if you like, you know, because all the late model stuff like George was running, they're all very local stuff, you know, they run on, you know, local, you know, ball ring oval tracks, you know, every Saturday night, their weekly shows. Um, or, you know, multiple... Perhaps... An ARCA is just... Basically, is just below either trucks or nationwide. But, you know, a lot of drivers who are, who are trying out for nationwide or Sprint Cup even, you know, they get experience in, in ARCA because it's, it's, it's the closest to, um, you know, the, the, the NASCAR car racing as opposed to, you know, the, the, the pickup trucks. But if you, you know, if you... If you drew a line, yes, theoretically, you'd go from ARCA, you know, if you didn't come through some other division like sprint cars. Right. You know, that's another way of getting into to NASCAR. But if you came a conventional route, you know, ARCA is the last stop before you then go into either trucks or jump straight up into na to Nationwide and, you know, through Nationwide, you know, which is kind of like the Fujitsu series of NASCAR, you then jump up, jump up into sprint cup. So it's a good thing that George has got into ARCA. Well, one must not forget that it was uh, Graft Hander who came through sprint cars to come into V8 supercars and, uh, and Paul Wheel from truck racing that, that took him into that uh, the bitumen sector. So, you know, that Graft Hander come through sprint car racing? Yes. Really? Ah, folks, caught you out. <laughs> well, possibly. Possibly not. Caught me out too, folks. You'll be checking out. That he came through Formula Ford from WA. Um, uh, folks, you know what that means? It's t t tech time! <laughs> so guys, what is happening in the wide, wonderful world of 
I need some updating. <laughs> I haven't bought any new gadgets for a while. Tell well, me you're going to buy new gadgets shortly because Apple's just about to release the newest version of Final Cut Pro, renamed Final Cut, Final Cut Pro X, with yep. Thunderbolt support. Very, very good. JP, you, obviously you've got a bit of good, good oil on that. Yeah, I mean, they've, uh, they've done a, a, quite a substantial rewrite of quite a bit of the code, as I understand. And um, it's going to be uh, quicker um, to run on the, the, make use of the new uh, faster Intel processors, particularly on the Mac Pro. Uh, you know, JP doesn't know much about this. He's just been, he's just been winging it because he's got no documentation about that. It takes, no, it takes advantage of Grand Central Dispatch to be able to, to offset uh, processors to all the cores. What will be expected will be that the audio and motion products will be in, in, in encompassed into a single product and take advantage of the eight cores dispatching the various uh, rendering uh, components off simultaneously to uh, the, the, uh, the, the processing engines. Obviously that will be able to be you know linked up with uh, X servers and legacy systems like that to be able to do um, a really, really high-end 4K by 4K uh, processing, which Ready would be uh, required for something in like... In English, please? For, for well, Pixar. So basically well, what, what I, I mean said, is, folks, it's, Pixar it's been stuff. rewritten so that it'll make use of the processors in the Mac Pros. And this interests me how... The cause that Hardy's well, alluding not, to. This show is not fucking for you. <laughs> I beg your pardon. <laughs> I was quite vehement about that. It is at the moment. Well, it folks... It's extremely unsexy and unrelevant to me. Here's something you'll be interested in. Well, I'm, I'm going to get interested. I can't. They come. It comes with a new puck. Yeah, but folks doesn't give a puck about your puck. Listen, folks. You know, it's it's got it's I mean, got. We're not going to get a PG rating out of this. Well, it's got a de, it's got a no. miserable filtering. Miserable. Something you will be interested in won't work yeah. on you. Get rid of you, will it? <laughs> I got in first. Oh, nasty. Oh, oh, boys, boys. You'll, ha you'll be happy to hear, folks, <laughs> that flexible newspaper-style tablets are getting very, very close to fruition. There's a uh, company in the US called the Flexible Display Center, which is an, an initiative that was originally funded by the US military I've had it with to make, like, uh, roll-uppable roll LCD yep. screens... That are, are now capable of displaying full colour images. So that, like, to give you a, an example, uh, some guy in the military can actually have a thing wrapped around his arm. Can you send this chili to him? And his ass. they can have a map on it, an interactive map of the terrain that they're about to experience or whatever, and see where the enemy are and all that sort of caper. And because of this technology, it's basically going to mean that the, the tablet as we know it currently, in three to five years' time, will become just a, a flexible piece of um, poly whatever with a, with a steel backing. Uh, so you can roll it up and put it in your pocket or whatever. So, um, so that's quite a, an interesting thing. And viewers, if you want to check that out, if you go to YouTube and actually key in flexible display center, center spelled C-E-N-T-E-R, you'll get a little uh, YouTube video rundown of exactly what they're doing and how they're doing it. That does sound exciting. It is. Hey, um, speaking of exciting, any news on iPhone 5? Uh, yes, there is a bit of news on iPhone 5, other than to, other to, than to, to say that, uh, look, um, the the imminent reports 
of its uh, early arrival uh, are Rubbish. way misconstrued. Um, Near-field communication is probably a, a core technology that they want to implement, which will effectively mean that you won't need to bring your Visa card out and... Um, <laughs> what are you laughing at? Something popping up on the screen um, here. Oh, God. <laughs> and um, uh, you'll be able to use your iPhone for um, uh, a, a chat uh, to uh, your bank transaction system. Yes, yeah, like yeah. Uh, In lieu of a credit card is what you're saying because of the proximity. Yes. So, so iPhone, right. iPhone generally, folks. The the, the hot rumours are that it will it will be at least September. It'll yep. probably be September in the in or fall in the US, uh, our spring. Um, before we see iPhone 5 um, for various reasons um, probably in A in light of what Apple want to do with it as Hardy just alluded to but B also because of the Japanese earthquake thing and the lack of uh, flash memory available blah 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 that's also going to slow things up okay well that's interesting I, the reason I asked was my son in the UK has put the bot on me for my iPhone 3. Um, and you want to get a new one. And well, I, and I've actually said to him, look, yeah, you can have it, but, you know, with the upgrade of the iOS, um, it's, you know, ground to a halt. It's not a very good phone. So I said, look, we'll wait. When iPhone 5 comes out, I'll get one of those and I'll give you my iPhone 4. And he thought that was a good deal, but I'm just trying to get some timeline. So he's going to have to wait a few months before that's going to happen. He certainly is if you're going to wait for an iPhone 5. Mm. Well, I think it's better to use it like oh, the you, iPhone you... 4 than palm off the old iPhone 3, which, you know, as I said, with the, with the operating system upgrade, it's just hopelessly slow. Now, well, folks, we'd, we'd had a bit of a chat about um, the problems with would have been going on uh, in... Uh, with the ACO and their media rights and this and that, you know, with... Sebring not getting any coverage. Well, today I realise that, that there's a, a new deal has been signed with Motors TV, and you know after the near disaster of the coverage of the of the Sebring ALMS round, um, they're, they're sort of doing their best to sort of come 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 back. And they've, Motors TV has reached an agreement for coverage of coverage in Europe of seven of the eight remaining ALMS season. Ironically, with the exception of Petit Le Mans, which is under the control of the ILMS committee, which is still part of the ACO. And here we're going back to the ACO going, oh, I think we want to make this four-round Intercontinental Le Mans Championship the hero to the, you know, to the, to the, um, you know, to, to the good word. Mm -hmm. Could you, could, good word? How many points in Scrabble? Oh, I don't know. Um, and Scott Atherton, uh, CEO, uh, or Nudnut, as uh, uh, we've, 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 we've called him, <laughs> and I've had to share a few brooms with him, uh, high quality, has said, high quality international digital television distribution of our sport is vital, and we have an outstanding following of fans around the globe, and these commitments from both our ESPN partner and long-running international television friends enable us to demonstrate our commitment to providing great sports for well, look, you know, if you're going to distribute the content out over a, an, an online network, you just know that you're going to marginalise your, your viewers. So, I mean, still, despite the, all, the, um, all, the, all the, the jumps and leaps forward in technology and NBN rollout coming here in Australia, it's very unlikely 
that that is the solution. Free to air is still the way to go, isn't it, folks? Oh, of course it is. Most people still watch free to air and still will, you know, in the foreseeable future, if not my lifetime. Um, if you look at the figures, you know, Foxtel here in Australia, roughly 23, 25% of households, and that's about the same percentage that, that Sky in the United Kingdom has always got. You know, there's, there's about a quarter of the households are prepared to pay for pay TV. And you were talking about that debacle with the television coverage of the Sebring 12 Hours and ESPN3.com, which is an exclusively online channel of ESPN, the American-based sports network, um, which you can only get in Australia, for example, if you're a subscriber to Foxtel and a subscriber at a sufficient level to get up their sports package, and that enables you to, you know, go and watch it online, which seems a bit Irish. <laughs> you want to watch it on your television, not on your computer monitor. So, you know, this new deal you've talked about, John, is, you know, is progress, but the ACO does seem to be meddling and favouring their international Amal series at, at the cost of the ALMS, certainly where events clash, such as the Seabury 12 Hours and the, and the Petit Le Mans. Because the ALMS doesn't have a bad TV deal, generally in the States at the moment. I, I think, if I read it correctly, they get replays on, um, on ABC and ESPN's main channels. So it's not a bad deal. Um, but for the Seabring 12 Hours, you know, arguably, well, not arguably, you know, the, the biggest event on their calendar, um, they certainly dropped the ball and the coverage was um, very disappointing for people who were trying to follow it. Hello, Lars. Hi, Lars. Hello there. Lars, uh, you're joining uh, Mark Fogarty from Melbourne. Hello, Mark. Hello again. Hey there, how are Sorry? Where's Mark? Where's Mark right now? He's in uh, Melbourne. Oh. And Lars, you're in Copenhagen, yes? Close by here in Wittbeck, my mm -hmm. home. Uh, I've made a mess of your kitchen. You did indeed. I had it painted five times to try and um, delete the traces. <laughs> Only five. <laughs> also joining us this evening, Lars, is JP, our regular co-host. Yeah, we've spoken before, Lars. How are you? Yeah, we did indeed. What I'm great, thanks. I just came back from the Maldives this morning. I oh, didn't ask nice. you where you'd been, <laughs> <laughs> but you had to get it in, didn't you? <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, yeah. what, what schnapps are you having this morning? Uh, I have um, no. Sh I had no snaps this morning because I was flying. Uh, <laughs> flying. Flying or flying, whatever. <laughs> no, um, we're not. I'm not hot on snaps right now, but uh, uh, for the weekend, for sure. We'll have a 90, 90, uh, 60 percent snaps to uh, to get the hearings done with what we have lunch. Do, do you want to know the good news or the bad news, Lars? Well, whatever comes first. Yeah, you Should you call it. You call it. All right. Good news. I'm here in Australia. 
and not yeah, in your kitchen. That, that's the good news. You're not, you're not, you're not in Denmark. Great news. <laughs> <laughs> that's the bad news. I'm going to be on your doorstep very soon. <laughs> All right. Let me know when so I can try and escape before you're uh, <laughs> back to the Maldives again. <laughs> back to the Maldives for more schnapps. <laughs> Absolutely. Mark Fogarty, have you ever met this gentleman before? He I is. I have had the pleasure. Only, I only know him by repute. Through Alan. Right. And there don't, don't, yes. don't hey, up. Are you, yes. we're all excited down here about the Royal Christening. <laughs> are you excited? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's today. Yes, I know. Yeah. And, and it's going to be it's going to be John and Mary or Bloody Mary. I'm not quite sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, but either either or. And 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 Lars, let me tell you, I believe the name of the one of the girls is going to be Matilda. Hey. Yeah. We'll be waltzing all the way to the church. Oh. <laughs> Can they do that? Don't they have to have royal names, regal names? Well, they, they they'll have a array of names. They'll have a number. And um, our guess is they're going to have three or four or five names. And then they can pick and choose whether they're down yonder or here in Denmark or in France or wherever. So, you know. Is, um, is our Mary, as we like to call it, is, is she still very popular there? <laughs> Not as popular as Lars. She is. She is. Indeed. Well, that's good. Well, Frederick's in a bit of trouble at the moment, isn't he? Yeah, wasn't he uh, half whacked in a pub somewhere? <laughs> With a blonde. <laughs> no, 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 that's all bad rumours. <laughs> right. yeah, Mark, you have to realise that, that Lars is actually uh, quite close to royalty. He, he, he knows uh, Prince Jochemann quite well. In fact, he's shunted him off quite a few times on a racetrack. <laughs> well done. Uh, well, he, need, he needed a couple of tenths of sex and... Uh, so I, I just added that on bumping me, but uh, no, 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 and, and all those bad rumors that uh, he's been with a blonde—that is absolute. I can, I can totally and utterly deny it. Because you were it there. Was, <laughs> it was a, br it was a brunette. Lars <laughs> <laughs> was with the blonde. Lars, <laughs> but uh, Lars, I, I suppose. Keeping to motor racing, we'll just bring it back online for a second. Uh, yeah, you, you're the man behind the uh, the Aquila brand, which has produced the, the, some uh, interesting sports cars there that did very well in Britcar. And in fact, uh, Prince Jochemann himself has one. Why haven't we seen you bring one of these cars to Australia now that the the, the, the Bathurst 12-hour is opened up to GT2 cars, GT3 cars? Yeah, that might actually be a possibility. We've um, reproduced and sold a number of cars this year uh, for England, for Holland, Belgium, uh, one for Argentine, two for the US, and um, one for me that uh, I'll be sharing with a couple of other, other cool guys here in Denmark. And uh, the idea is that we're going to take that places. Um, I'm pretty sure that we're going to see we're going to see Dubai next year. Uh -huh. And um, I'm trying, you know, I have, Sipang is like my second home, um, have a couple of uh, good wins and uh, good placings there, so um, we may take it there and, and see if we can promote it for, for some series or whatever. Yeah, a few couple and of years. then we're that close, we may as well just kick its ass all the way to, uh, to the island. 
Yeah, look, a couple of years back, like um, two or three years back, you actually you won outright the Madurka Millennium Race there at Seapain uh, in, in the RSR. That was really good. It didn't have the greatest luck the next year. But uh, now your daughter is coming online. In fact, uh, Christina is going very, very good. Have gone great through go-karting, um, even to uh, the... Um, the KF1 Masters in uh, in Spain last year, I believe, and now is now uh, racing along uh, Mario Farmbacher in Adak. Yeah, it's it was actually KF2, not KF1, but uh, leave that aside. Um, yes, and uh, the uh, the good news is she's been to Holland um, and uh, two different tracks in or three actually by now in Germany is and she is definitely among the quickest. Everything is turned around. She's very, very comfortable with her new car. Uh, the team is uh, is really producing good results, and uh, she's up right up there. She's on several occasions been quicker than uh, Mario. And um, at the end of the uh, test session in um, what was this? Um, that that Friday afternoon when they all finished up, she was actually quickest. Um, in the team and um, third quickest uh, of I think 18 drivers um, so I'd like to, to think that's going to hold for, for Easter when she has a debut in uh, the German uh, Masters ADSC uh, former Masters ADSC It's, uh, it's so, good to see that uh, uh, Kevin Magnussen uh, son of, of Jan you know actually you know when I think of Jan I, I, I actually think him of, of him as a child all the time because he's always very childish and you would probably agree with me on that last but uh, you know Kevin was in uh, the uh, Aquila Formula Ford sort of gave him his uh, stepping stone uh, uh, out of karting did very well and now he's uh, he's topping uh, F3 yeah he's um, he's covering his father pretty well off though um, and I, I'd like to add it doesn't matter anything how childish you are as long as you're quicker than the others. And I, can, I, I think it's safe to say that uh, Jan, has, Jan is uh, an all-round fantastic race driver. I mean, he, um, he did well, very well with, uh, um, with Brown uh, for a number of years. Uh, it seemed like they were the only two that really, really could get the Panas to go awesomely quick. And uh, even try to give the artists uh, a run for their for their money, and um, then of course he uh, he went on to Chevrolet and did very well. His his son uh, is a fantastic youngster. Uh, I think he has all the talent that uh, that Jan has, and then uh, of course he has Jan as a dad, so uh, it, it's not too bad. He's going to be uh, driving the British Formula 3 season this year, and uh, I think he has a very, very good chance of winning. Uh, they'll, they, I think they'll kick off uh, this coming weekend. I don't know where, but, but somewhere in England. Well, Carlin have a very good uh, record of being able to produce uh, results for the drivers. But uh, father's not doing so bad. And folks, um, I, I hear this week that he signed up a deal to uh, team up with uh, with Paul Morris Motorsport, I believe. Uh, not exactly the all the papers not actually signed to drive at the Indy race here at the yeah, surface. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, going to get a, a drive with one of the in one of the Paul, Motor, Paul Morris Motorsport cars in the Gold Coast 600, so adding to the growing list of internationals who are coming out this year. Because obviously, as you know, last year in the inaugural um, mixed race with international co-drivers, they brought in 18 overseas drivers. This year, it'll be 
the full field of 28 right. and um, with various clashes with other series and also the restriction on the internationals who take part in the Gold Coast 600 they can't you know, also compete at Bathurst and Phillip Island um, actually <laughs> there's a bit of a scramble on to get top class drivers because some of those restrictions mean that there aren't so many available but um, Jan who I thought was one who should have been out here last year and I'm quite sure why he didn't make it um, is apparently going to be in the field this year so um, it will be uh, interesting to see him out here and he's certainly a great talent although Lars something of an unfulfilled talent wasn't he really I mean back in his Formula 3 days he, uh, I think Jackie Stewart um, described him as someone who was going to uh, outshine it and Senna but it never seemed to work for him in Formula 1 no um, uh, I think a lot of people don't really realise and it's often like that um, what pressure um, uh, the Stewarts were under they didn't have the budget like so many other small teams and it was quite, quite obvious that there was a number one car for Rubens and a number two car for Jan. Um, you know, it, it, was, it was really, really obvious uh, for, for, for the insiders. But it didn't help Jan for, to promote his name um, onwards. Um, he was best friends with Rubens and you can't just go and, and be envious every day and say this bugger from, from, um, from Brazil, you know, he's always getting the best. He was a better driver um, uh, on, on a good day, but I think that, that had Jan gotten the, the, same, um, the same equipment, he would certainly have been right up there with Rubens. And, um, you know, from, from being a hero to a zero isn't much, and he's, he, he just didn't have that portion of luck that, that, that was needed. Had he been in a Jordan or, or something else, I'm, I'm sure he would have he would have shown a different talent, as he's done in basically every other car that that he's been driving. Mm. Um, I think you know there's one thing about Jan that the spectators love, and that's his that is his childness um, and his aggressive. I mean, you don't find many Europeans that loves driving American cars more than him, just because they're fun, just because they're raw, and just because it's you know. It's, it's a boy thing. And um, I don't think that, I mean, I really, I'm 60 now. If I had the chance, I would come down to Australia and, uh, and roll around with these um, crazy uh, cars that probably don't drive very well, but extremely uh, spectacular. And I think that Yen is going to shine above most everyone else. Um, he may not win uh, uh, the first few, but uh, if, he, if he goes on, he, he's going to have an audience with him because he's just so extremely spectacular. So, um, so I, I really hope that uh, he's going to be there and, and uh, with a lot of luck. Is David going to drive? David Brabham? Yeah? No. Not in the Gold Coast because he's driving in Phillip Island and uh, Bassett, the Bassett 1000 with Stone Brothers Racing. So there is an exclusion there. Uh, if you like Alan, if he's driving the two enduros, he's not eligible to drive this uh, sort of semi-international. Well, I wouldn't call it a celebrity race, but it's sort of a showcase race. Um, but uh, 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 from what I understand, TK is is coming down. Uh, who else? Bruno Ginquera, is that right, folks? Uh, and who, who else are the international? Patrick Long. Patrick Long is coming back now. Now, now Lars, you, you know Patrick, and when he last year when he came down here, everyone was going, "Who the hell's Patrick Long?" Well, he was the star of the show, and as we oh, both he was, know, wasn't he? Patrick Patrick definitely knows how to drive a GT too. 
He certainly does. Yeah, I'm very proud to uh, to have driven for a year with him, and uh, it was fantastic. It was it was also very nice. We we shared the car. We didn't have to change the seats. The only difference between him and, him and I was he stood in the seat and rather I sat in it when we drove. But, uh, <laughs> oh, and the hair. Lars, <laughs> yeah. I don't know how much you know about this concept of the Gold Coast 600, but it was greeted with a lot of skepticism last year beforehand, but it actually worked very well. And they had you know, quite an array of stars who came down, Jacques Villeneuve, Elio Castroneves, Dario Franchitti, Scott Dixon, um, David Brabham, names of that ilk. And they're all under the gun because these V8 supercars, you know, they're like any specialised local formula. You know, the regular guys are the experts. And no matter how good you are, if you just parachute it in with limited practice and limited racing, you know, you, you're going to struggle. Now, most of the internationals actually did an excellent job, some better than others, like Andy Prio, who's a touring car right. specialist, you know, did yeah. very well, as you would expect. But um, as um, Hardy pointed out, Patrick Long, who was inexplicably completely underrated before he came out, um, <laughs> you know, anyone who... Yeah knew anything knew he was going to be a good hand but he was you know underrated um and he did extremely well so this year um you know they're going to have a lot more drivers a lot of drivers aren't available because the meeting at the end of october clashes with world rally championship it clashes with world touring car championship it clashes with nascar it clashes with dtm like for example david coulthard would have been a starter had he not yeah. had to go back between Grand Prix. Um, so yeah. it's an exciting concept that works, it's worked very well. And my experience is, you know, if you talk to drivers all around the world, anyone who's anyone, you know, below Formula One, if you like, they all want to, they all want to be, they all want to come and do it. So, um, you know, Yan coming down is going to be very exciting and he'll just be one of a number of exciting talents. We mentioned Tom Christensen, you know, Lamar legend and, yeah. uh, you know, who was also, I was covering the British Touring Car Championship, you know, back in the day when he was driving over there. And, you know, he's, um, he's a super talent. So um, this race oh, yes. is going to get better and better. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it will be. And when you have a class for, for old Fox that are above 60 and still up to race, uh, you just go ahead and call me. I'll be right there. <laughs> yeah, I'll be there as well. Don't worry. All right, that's cool. I'm quite steep, but I'm getting closer and closer. But yeah, a seniors tour for, for race drivers would be great, wouldn't it? Well, isn't that what yeah. Martin Brundle's doing? <laughs> what was that? Yeah. Isn't that what Martin Brundle's doing? A seniors tour? <laughs> well, he's 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 on the cars to be uh, driving in this Gold Coast 600 as well. Yeah, and he did. Uh, what did he do in the states recently? Was he's it? He's 124 hours. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah finished fourth did pretty well yeah did very very well well yeah. well Lars you know this show is is you know this show is a, a light-hearted look at the world of motor racing cool emerging technologies gadgets and barbecues and schmerbrod innovations what's going on in in Copenhagen I mean here you are you are in the town with the world's number one restaurant Noma have you been there and experienced the molecular delights? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it's it's you know it's becoming. You want a table? You you book next year this this time. Um, but uh, don't they know who you are? It's not only it's not only about uh, the best restaurant. We also have the best chef, you know, in Denmark. But tell us it's, about it's, tell us about yeah. what what did you experience when you went there? 
What 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 is molecular food like? <laughs> molecular food. It's an experience. It's difficult to, to express. There's there's so so much experimental and, and so much new uh, to try and to try and describe the uh, the taste of, of what you get. Uh, it's it's the uh, it's what goes into it with with the you know heart and blood and and uh, things that you don't see and the, the waste presented. It's, it's just uh, it's just an amazing experience. Of course, nothing like when you uh, when you. Uh, Filthy up my Bobby here in the garden. Uh, <laughs> filthy up. Let's turn, 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 turn the whole back up and fire because he doesn't doesn't know how to turn down the the gas there. But uh, no, no. I, I suppose that Lars, I, I should. That'd be a molecular mess, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's quite. It's a nuclear fusion. I'm not quite sure what happened. Uh, I think I think Lars that I should take this opportunity to just tell the viewers about the the. The time that um, when I when I turned up on your doorstep and you said, "Look, I have to go to Switzerland," and I said, "Well, that's okay. I, I don't need to come with you." And you went, "Well, I'll stay here on your own and, and and have a nice time, but don't make a mess." And I went, "No worries, it won't make a mess." And I went down the road. That that that, that, that was two weeks before I refurbished again my new kitchen that was too much. <laughs> yeah, 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 I, yeah, no, but 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 let me tell the story. That, that so I went down the road very carefully and got a steak and and I thought I, and you went I remember you ringing up saying don't go to the cellar <laughs> so oh, I went down the wine cellar yes. <laughs> and I said I, I wouldn't go I wouldn't go there in a high voice so I went down and I got a couple of wines and I got this wine and I remember I went damn the cork is so bad I couldn't get the cork out of the thing and you had this really good cork removing mechanism there and I went yeah, I went, yeah damn yeah. it. And I finally got it out. I went, huh. and a little bit of it splattered on the table. I went, huh. didn't get me. Yay! All right, and enjoyed the meal. Anyway, you've turned up the next night, and I went, hey, uh, and you've got very good, not a mess at all. I said, hey, Lars, I've got dinner ready for you, and and here's a nice bottle of wine. And he goes, nah, that's rubbish. I'm going down to the cellar. And you went and got something glamour out of the cellar, an Australian wine, no less. What was it? It was a estate, a henschke, a henschke. Henske. Uh, Henske, yeah, got a Henske out, and then you got the wine puller out, you put it in, and it went, huh, and, you, and I said, oh, it's not working, it's rubbish, anyway, and fi sure enough, the thing, the thing was rubbish, it, it didn't work, and I remember you, I remember you pulling it out manually, and then you went, you know, you haven't made a mess, at that point, you look back, up at your ceiling, and said, yeah. can you explain those red marks on my ceiling? <laughs> <laughs> and I remember, uh-oh, that must have been the bottle of wine from the previous day. Well, and, and, another, another, another 1972 Heskis estate. <laughs> uh, Shiraz, yeah, splattered all over my, my kitchen uh, there. But anyway. And as I got out of, I got out of bed at 11.15 in the morning with you waiting for me patiently for have breakfast, um, there was a man on a stool with a, a roller cleaning the ceiling. As he should. No, not cleaning, just repainting it. That's yeah. okay. <laughs> it's it's so nice. It's so nice to have John as a friend. Um, not because of the friendship, but he lives in Australia. That, that really, that really is. Good. Thank you, Lars. That's what I feel the same being uh, in a different yeah. city. Well, it's nice. You have a you have a bloody big country down there. Um, mine is only five six hundred kilometres long and three hundred kilometres wide. Look, we've burnt it, flooded it, 
or, 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 or hit it by a um, by a right. hurricane. So, like, there's, there's there's bits of it that aren't left. Right. Anyways, hey, I want to bet with I want to bet you guys. Um, I'm, I want to bet that there's going to be a Dane amongst the first three finishes in uh, in that race. Which race? The Gold Coast 600. Gold Coast, yeah. yeah. Gold Coast 600. You should take this bet on with Fogues, because okay. apparently Fogues is quite influential. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Much like yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, Mars, uh, do you reckon a Dane in the top three? Yeah, absolutely. Big call. It could, it could, Very it could big be, call. Yeah, it could be. It could be Yan Um Yan, Yan, Yan is so so damned about racing that you give him the worst car that drives backwards, he'll he'll still try and win the race. Yeah, it's uh, not he, the he knows, he knows how to handle the bitch. Yep, Lars, you'll need it with the team he's with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't oh, know that. Sure. You don't know about that bit, Lars. That's a big really. slag, folks. No, really. <laughs> uh, right, well, uh, I think that would be taking candy from a baby on that one, Lars. But um, I, I, uh, I applaud your optimism. You'll be surprised. Right? A six pack. I won't be surprised by the hints or Tom's ability, but it depends which teams they're with, and both of them aren't with. Neither of them is with a genuinely top team, to be honest. Uh, Tom Christensen is um, apparently going to go <coughs> with Dick Johnson Racing, last year champs winning team, but they're not the same team that they were last year. And Jan is with uh, Paul Morris Motorsport, who keep finding more and more creative ways of, of not to do well, I'm afraid. But, um... <laughs> All right, folks, folks we've, got, we've, got to wrap, we've got to wrap this yeah, we've up. Got to wrap we've up. got to wrap this up, but I've well, got a couple... No, 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 don't go yet. But, 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 Lars, we've got a couple of things we just need to ask you about. A couple of, a couple of things that are really, relatively important to sports car racing, and I know, uh, Lars, I know all about this, the arrival of the uh, Lotus Evora GT2. Now, Lars, what do you think about that arrival on the scene? Jet Alliance. It's, it, it's, it's, yeah, it's an, it's an iron. Jet Alliance is, is, is a solid team. Um, it could do any, it could do anything. Um, but, but reliability, reliability, I think, is the key. Um, I'm sure they'll make a card that goes quickly, but um, can they, can they, can they keep it on the island? I'm not sure. But we'll, we'll, we'll just have and see. Okay, so uh, you're running a GT3 car in. Um uh, in the uh, the Aquila, a completely different looking car to what um, McLaren is now offering with the MP4 12C GT3. Like, mate, that's that's big competition, but that doesn't look yeah. as sexy as your car. No, and it costs three times that's it's three times as much as ours. You know, we're running an LS7 engine now. I I, I don't know that the website's become invisible. That's not true. I hope not. And then you you you, you scratch it out. No, we um, we run an L seven five five sixty horsepower uh, standard. And just just before you you close up and and the viewers goes to bed, uh, let me just tell you uh, three seconds about my new car. It's an Escort BGG Mark One. Mark One. Well, you know, for, you know, Excellent. Lars, yeah. you know. You're going to love it because I've got a brand new Ford Focus RS. All right. Well, so like, it's not a, it's not an RS 500, but it's yeah. it's the 
are we are we sort of having a little bit of Ford love there? Yeah, the you know the um, uh, the eighteen times Danish champion who's seventy years or seventy two years old now, he he dug out his old RS two thousand and he's competing. Eric Hoyer, you may remember him. Yes. So I teamed up with him. Yeah, we are, I teamed up with him, and uh, I bought this immaculate um, uh, BDG, and <laughs> I've had it out. Uh, testing twice and uh, I'm going on Sunday for the first time in real slicks and uh, even on semi slicks I was only two seconds away from from the lap record and it's just right out of the box I've not done anything except right. adjusting the shock absorbers very easy car to drive and Lars is that the is that got the big elephant ear flared guards yes yes Ooh. it does oh, and it's it's an it's an aluminum um, um, uh, Wilson, Wilson Cox or something, engine, mm -hmm. ah, some, some, some British stuff. Um, it's a suite that built it. Uh, when you arrive at his at his doorstep, he will he will come and greet you in his uh, his in his uh, 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 rubber boots or whatever. Then he walks into the house and put the slippers on. Then as he walks onto his workshop, he takes the slippers off and put nice slippers on. <laughs> so everything is. <laughs> It's just, it's just amazing. Uh, no one else wanted to drive it because it's 100% immaculate. There's nothing wrong with this car whatsoever. And but, but I don't, I'm, I don't have these funny feelings about not banging up race cars, no matter how nice they are. So uh, I'm going to take it racing this year. That's that's absolutely right. And viewers would like to say before Lars smashes it to pieces tomorrow. No, I know you won't, Lars. Just like to say. Thanks for listening to Radio Hotlap, episode 178. And, and, and Lars and, and folks, stay on the line because we need to get your address because we've got a special gift for you. Uh, outro music. JP, outro music. Yeah, we can go to the